This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. Your content is at the heart of what you do. It connects your company to others, teaches them, guides them, and inspires them. But creating, managing, and editing content at scale is often very chaotic and difficult. Empower your content teams with Brightspot Content Management System, made specifically for marketers and corporate communications leaders. No more waiting for a developer to have to piece things together. Put the power to create and deliver powerful yet complex digital experiences into the hands of your marketers with a comprehensive suite of ready-to-use tools and functionality. Bring a bright spot to your tech stack, your customers, your team, with the Brightspot content management system. Visit brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to learn more. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Marketing Trends. I am super hyped today. We've got an incredible, brilliant marketing leader in the virtual studio. Melissa Proctor joins us today. If you don't know, you're going to know after this conversation. Melissa Proctor is the Executive Vice President, Chief Marketing Officer for the Atlanta Hawks and State Farm Arena. She joined the Hawks in June of 2014. Uh, And in this role, she oversees a lot of things, day-to-day operations of the marketing teams, marketing integration and direct response, digital content, advertising, promotions. She additionally plays an instrumental role within the organization, spearheading internal corporate employee initiatives and executive communications. Um, She has an incredible story. We'll touch on a a bit of her story today. Uh, Melissa, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Super honored. I got to quickly just give you a shout out on this book. I When I was doing some prep for, for this conversation, I, I saw that you had a book and I'm like, okay, I got to get the book. We got to see what's up with Melissa. And I just want to recommend everybody go to Amazon, go online. This is a really quick read, uh, but it is full of really like inspirational, like also like tangible, tactical things that you can actually take into your life, no matter where you're at. Uh, her story is is incredible. And I think that if you give this book a shot, you'll see a lot of reflections. Um, and so, Melissa, this was just an incredible book. And I think one of the things I just, I loved about your kind of inspiration was your daughter, mm-hmm. um, Marley. And how old's Marley now? She's eight. She's eight now. Okay, okay. I have, I have a four-year-old daughter. And just as I was was tuning into the energy of you being a mom and an executive marketing leader, like I see just the path that you've carved, but also like you want to leave these crumbs and these clues for Marley and then the rest of the world. Um, so what an incredible, just a gift to leave back. And uh, let's dive into a little bit of the book because it's just exceptional to, to learn some of the things that you, you've done. Um, and before we dive into marketing stuff, I, I want to mention, um, you know, you, you've been a trailblazer. You are a trailblazer for women, uh, for women of color in sports. And, and you've shared your story in this incredible book that I just mentioned called From Ball Girl to CMO. I want to just ask, like, who were you hoping to reach with with your story? Oh, wow. Well, one, thank you. Thank you so much. I It's so interesting because I really am not a huge reader and <laughs> never in a million years did I ever think I would write a book. And uh, my mom, who I write about a lot in the book, uh, passed away some years ago, about two or three years before my daughter was born. And when she was alive, she was older, disabled. I had to take care of her. And I always we always talked, had a lot of questions. But after I had my daughter, I had so many more questions for her now as a mom that I would have never even thought to ask before. And I thought about it as I, you know, am a new mom. Every time I would speak uh, at work and anywhere else, people would say, oh, my gosh, your story is so crazy. You should write a book. And I never thought about it. But after my daughter was born, I thought about all the questions I had for my mom and things that I wish I knew about her. And I was like, man, God forbid something happens to me. My daughter would have to try to put together the pieces of my journey through other people like I was doing for my mom and, you know, not get it directly from me. And so I actually wrote the book for my daughter 
uh, just so that I could put it down on paper and it could exist somewhere in the world. And honestly, beyond that, I had no other thoughts or expectations for it. It was really, here's something I could do to help. And if it could help her, hopefully it would help other people. And it's been amazing. I, or I think it was really September of 2020. And the amount of doors that it's opened and conversations that it started has been phenomenal. And I could have never imagined it in a million years. That's amazing. Yeah. And your mom, is her name uh, was Elizabeth, right? Olivia. Uh, Olivia. Olivia okay. Idali um, Elizabeth Brown McGee. She had a ton of names. It's, okay. She's from Belize. Okay. It was a cultural thing, but yeah. Elizabeth was one of them. Okay. Okay. The, it's like the way that she saw the world and the way that she like invested in you was, it's just incredible. I mean, like she, like as, as you, as you came across hardship and came across challenges that we all come across, it was like your mom was in your corner. A hundred percent. Incredible. It seems like she always supported you and always, always like nudged you to keep going and keep going, which I think is is simple in, in, in sounding, but but much more profound. I mean, because there were moments in your path where you could have said, OK, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> um, you, you talk about this idea of pivoting, which I love this idea of pivoting. I love it because it relates to, to the, the world that you're in. Um, and I'm curious about just a recent pivot for you. Like if there's been many pivots in your career, you talk about a few in the book, but can you kind of unpack like a recent pivot or a recent big shift for you in the last year, couple years? Would love to know about that. Um, you know, it's a good question. I feel like within my work and what we do every day, obviously the pandemic was a huge pivot for everybody. Um, and in the world of basketball and live events that which we put on at State Farm Arena, you know, our whole world was bringing people together when everyone had to be a part. And so, you know, for us, it was how do we take so much of what we do in the physical world and create digital pivots or opportunities to reach fans in new ways. And so, you know, we've done that through many programs. One especially is our Hawks at Home program, which was we were doing physical camps and clinics all over the city of Atlanta for years that people loved going to Hawks camps. And when the pandemic hit, we could no longer do that. And so working with our basketball programs team, you know, creating content that they're doing at their houses teaching kids basketball fundamentals and creating a whole website and live content experience where kids could still continue to learn and develop in basketball and learn from players and coaches. And it's been phenomenal. So we're continuing to work on that and now pivoting since the world has opened back up to say, all right, what kind of questions do we have? What do kids need from us now in the digital space still where we can continue to engage and grow this platform because it was a gift that would probably not have happened as quickly if it weren't for the pandemic. Mm. There's a, a big through line for you and, and really just inspiring you know, younger women and women of color who, who aspire to, to work in sports. Um, you've kind of paved the way, you know, if anyone Googles Melissa Proctor, you'll see like she's really kind of one of the, the forefront four rudders of like women of color getting into the executive level of, of a really male dominated sport and industry. What do you hope younger women and women of color who aspire to work in sports might take from your journey and take from this experience? You know, I, I really just believe that you can't be what you can't see. So, so much of, you know, me being here, I didn't see myself, you know, in this role. Like I said, I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Um, but, you know, throughout my career, it was one going with passion. I was an artist growing up, you know, drawing, painting, graphic design, went to college on an art scholarship. And I think so often people think, well, I had to play basketball or I needed to, you know, have a background in marketing. I didn't take a marketing class in college. You know, a lot of it was, you know, learned on the job uh, once I got out of college and worked at Turner Broadcasting. But I would say whatever you want to do, do the job you want before you have it, which is a big one. You know, I learned about brand strategy. I love the idea of branding. Couldn't get a brand job to save my life because I had no experience. And so I found a company that I was kind of passionate about and I Cole called him and said, hey, let me help you with your brand. Thankfully, it was a small business. And the owner said, sure, come on. And I was their director of brand strategy. And that opened up so many new doors for me that ultimately led to my first brand strategy role at Turner. So I would say, whatever it is, do it with passion and like, don't let anybody tell you no. Yeah. You have also, look, you, you've been in the branding marketing world now for some time. You've seen the kind of evolution of this world change rapidly. Uh, you know, my, my opinion I, well, first, I get to interview a lot of marketing leaders. And for me, interviewing someone that's a, a modern day marketing leader right now in 2022 is so vastly different than a marketing leader of, of years past. And I think there's certain skills and attributes that are just necessary now. 
I also love that you have the artistic background because it seems like the really good marketing leaders that I've found, they have the right brain, left brain thing going on. They're really good at both. Like they can, they can get into the artistic and the strat and they can get into the strategy. Yeah. And I think that makes for a really good marketing leader. Um, in addition to that, like what skills and attitudes do you think aspiring marketers should develop to contribute to their success to be a, a marketing leader now? Well, you know, obviously you talked about, you know, creative and strategy and someone asked like, what's your superpower? And I'm like, exactly that. Being able to have creative ideas, but also apply them strategically so they're not just kind of creative or art for art's sake. And I think that's hugely important, you know, being able to dig into the data and understand what the science is telling us in terms of direction, but then also having touched to culture and people. And I would say, especially being here in Atlanta and working with the Atlanta Hawks, you know, being a student of culture, I think is something that's important for me. You know, my team is always surprised because they're telling me about new places they should that you know we should check out. I'm like, oh, I've been there already. They're like, gosh, you just you're out there. And I was like, to me, I want to understand where my fans are, what they're doing in different spaces across the board, because I think it helps me become a better marketer. And similarly, especially talking about marketing leaders for the future, employee and internal culture is critical. And being a strong people leader is, I think, more important now than it ever has been. I mean, the great resignation and silent quitting and all these things that keep coming up are real, but, you know, to be able to engage and build an authentic relationship with your team, you know, and hopefully encourage and inspire and motivate them to want to bring their best to work every day and be authentically themselves is important. And I think if anything, I have won in my career um, by being myself, which sounds simple, but much more challenging. You, when you were invited to the party, always show up as your whole self. I mean, that's something also, um, you know, that's something it seems like you grabbed onto that early, like early, like you, there's something, I mean, and, and I don't always see that in young people. Uh, I see a lot of identity crisis. I see a lot of people, I don't know who, I don't know who I am. I don't know what, you know, but there was something in you that early on, you're like, look, if I'm going to show up, I'm going to be me. It's incredible. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can tell you growing up in Miami, you know, in the eighties, I was the quirky art girl who never really fit in anywhere. I had friends from all walks of life and being, I don't know, like kind of like that, that awkward kid in the back of the room, um, but just full of energy and life and, and passion and having the mother that I had just encouraged to say, whatever it is you want, just go for it. Just try it. And, you know, going through college, I went to Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And I never experienced the culture of the South, even though from Miami, that was not the South, until I went to North Carolina. And that was culture shock. And so many people there were like, why are you here? You should be at like NYU or somewhere cool and hip in a big city. But I loved Wake Forest. I loved my four years there, just being able to embrace and understand that new culture. Coming to Atlanta out of college and working for Turner Broadcasting, I wrote the story, it's part of my book, you know, I remember being an intern in TNT marketing and loving my department, loving everyone that I worked for. And no one looked like me. And they were all probably in their 30s. They all shopped, looked, looked similar. And they were amazing people, learned a lot. And every single year, the president of the network would ask, you know, all the interns to meet with them and just ask how their internship was going. And so I went in at the time I had a huge Afro, <laughs> like they knew exactly who I was. And I, and I went there and I, you know, he asked me how I was going. I told him I loved it. You know, it was great. I was learning so much. And he was like, oh, well, you know, would you change anything? I'm like, no, I just, you know, I just don't feel like I fit in. It's great, but I feel like I need to change, you know, how I dress to be able to get invited to the happy hours and after work dinners and, and stuff. And he gave me the best advice I could have ever received at 22 years old. He was like, you are here because of who you are, because of your Caribbean background, your artistic abilities, your heritage, all the culture, everything that you have. And I would do not just myself, but our company a disservice by trying to come in and assimilate to be like everyone else. And I, it was eye-opening at the time for the president of this network to give me this lowly intern that advice. But I know if it wasn't for hearing that then, I probably wouldn't be the person that I am in my role today. Because even growing up, my father's from Jamaica, he's older. He was always like, if you don't wear a girdle and pantyhose and you know a dress, you're never going to get a promotion. You're never going to get a job. And I was the tick in Jordans and sweatpants and and still am and able to be myself and have an amazing career by not deviating. Wow. Was that was that Steve Coonan? Was that, it was. was that who that was? Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't know much about him. I'd heard his name before. And I mean, what a what a legendary thing to say, you know, to you at that moment in your life where you could have made a decision, okay, I guess I'm gonna have to 
fade back and blend in. I guess I'm going to have to kind of assume the way everyone. And I mean, what a thing to tell. He could have told you many things. Absolutely. And he said, you know, whatever you do, be your be your authentic self. I mean, that's just incredible. And the president of the network, which is incredible. Um, shifting a little bit to kind of the employee experience, we're, we're hearing a lot about that now. I mean, in, in the past, of course, it's all about customer experience and fan experience. And that's that's really important. And it still is. It doesn't stop. <laughs> for sure. For sure. And it always will. And I'm seeing a lot of executives and hearing a lot of executives talk about how the employee experience is equal and so important. And I'm just curious about how you know, how you and the leadership team, kind of how you view the employee experience, maybe what have you done to double down on the employee experience in a really rapidly changing world? You know, in our industry, in our company, it's so different because, you know, we are incredibly forward facing. So our employees aren't just sitting behind their desktop or their laptops at, you know, at work and then going home, like our day to day events are getting in front of fans. And so we are asking our employees to do their best in terms of guest services and making sure everyone feels welcome, Southern hospitality in our home. As leadership, we'd be doing ourselves a disservice if our employees didn't feel that from us. And obviously there are always challenges and, you know, in any corporate structure. But I think for us, it's really what do employees need? If it's training, if it's management, if it's, you know, wellness in your whole person, whatever that is, really trying to listen and understand and provide. We have really challenging schedules with so many events. It's not just the Atlanta Hawks. It's our College Park Skyhawks, our G League team, Hawks Talent Gaming Club, our 2K League, in addition to all of our community efforts, our, you know, our Junior Hawks programs. And so, you know, our staff, they're, they're doing a lot and they're amazing at what they do. And so it's really, how do you just recognize that and always making sure that, you know, it's constantly understanding what gets people motivated and trying to meet them where they are. Something you talk about uh, back to the book again is your your game plan. You know, you talk about you have five really. I mean, all of them are like everyone. I'll just quickly run them through because they're awesome. But I want to key in on one um, real quick. They are number one. I must be able to bring my whole self to work. We've keyed in on that. Number two, I must have the ability to be both creative and strategic. Number three, I must be able to pay all of my bills on time and invest for my future. I love that. And then number four, I must be challenged and be able to and be able to add more tools to my professional toolbox. Now, the fifth one I wanna ask you about because you're busy. You have, a, you have a lot going on in your world. It's not just the Hawks, like you said, there's a lot going on, a lot of forward-facing opportunities. But number five is I must have work-life flexibility and harmony. And I love that you keyed in on that. I just wanna know how you do that now in 2022 as the CMO for the Hawks, there's so much that you could be focusing on and paying attention to and supporting team and development. Yet you, that balance is important to you. It's one of your five, it's one, it's part of your game plan. How do you activate that? How do you execute that now? Yeah. I mean, those are my guiding principles and I call them my non-negotiables. It doesn't matter where I am or what I do. If I, those five things can't be met, I shouldn't be doing it. Um, and the idea of work-life harmony for me, people say balance, but things are never in balance. You know, sometimes you got to work hard. Sometimes you got to life hard and, you know, finding your place somewhere in between. Um, but for me, that idea of harmony, I've, and I've had to learn it over time. It's saying no. You know, I'm, I'm a single mom. I have an eight-year-old daughter and I have a great, you know, ex-husband. We co-parent really well. And so with that, you know, I have a lot of game days. And if I'm not at a game day, I'm home with my daughter. And so how does that translate? I have an amazing team of leaders that work within, within the, the marketing department and it's empowering them, you know, sometimes. And I remember when I was more junior, I was almost a micromanager because I loved the doing, you know, and learning how to delegate and let go and get stuff done. Really, how do I help to create vision or direction for the team and let them fly and do their thing? But then also as, you know, inbound questions, I was joking, the young lady the other day, a college student said, I just want to grab coffee on your calendar. I said, if I had coffee with everyone who asked me for coffee, I would be a professional coffee drinker and I don't even <laughs> like coffee. Um, and so, you know, a lot of it is unfortunately having to say no, but then providing ways to just work more efficiently and effectively. And honestly, now when I go home, if I don't have an event day, like I have to turn off, you know, and letting my team know it's okay to turn off, but I'm a morning person. So you may get an email from me at 5 a.m. because that's when I'm up working and knowing that that's okay. And I think finding a culture that embraces that idea of flexibility and harmony where they're not asking you to sit at your desk till seven o'clock just because somebody in a corner office is sitting there and doesn't want to see anybody leave. I think that world is shifting. And I think the pandemic had a lot to do with the just flexibility and remote schedules. But 
you know, it's important. And then taking time for myself and whether that's traveling, because I really enjoy doing that or finding ways to pour into me, working out, spending time with friends or my daughter, like making time for that and making it a priority is important. Now I saw, I saw some of your artwork online and I think, I don't know if you, I think you told me, are you not doing too much art these days? Are you still creating art? I would love to say that I am. I mean, I painted a couple of pieces for my house, but in reality, that's just time. And I feel like I use my creativity more so these days to find creative solutions to business challenges um, than art. But my daughter wants to paint uh, cards for the holidays. So we may, we might make some holiday art, but yeah, that's the extent, not a ton these days. So let's talk about the kind of the, the future of sports engagement, right? Kind of omni-channel. There was an article that was published in, in July 22 titled, A Winning Strategy for the Future of Sports Streaming. And they talk about, they recommend that leaders create an omni-channel experience considering traditional broadcasting, streaming, social media, sports betting, gaming, fantasy, oh, and oh. other engagement channels how are you thinking about new ways of connecting with fans and building the larger Atlanta Hawks community? I mean, we never stop. I think it's an ongoing process and I don't think it's a start today, you know, just create a whole new thing tomorrow. Like I really believe it's going to be almost like building blocks that are pieces put on top of each other. So when we just redid our app and really considering everything that's happening within the space and finding unique ways to make things easier and more efficient for fans, you know, sports betting isn't a thing yet here in Georgia. Hopefully soon, you know, we'll have that opportunity. Um, but it's the precursor to that. So how do we have predictive elements and in in-game now where fans can do trivia and, and guess? And so we're kind of building some of those building blocks now into the future, you know, and streaming is super unique. I mean, and having worked at Turner Broadcasting in the past, so many nuanced ways that fans can get content now across platforms. Buzzer, if you're familiar, is all around the last couple seconds or elements of the game just so you can get the parts that everyone wants to see. And so how that works for us, you know, a lot of that has to do with the league and the teams and, you know, rights and where all that's headed. But it's an exciting time for me because even looking at what Amazon's doing with, you know, NFL and, and looking at different ways to stream and different personalities, the pop culture side of me loves the idea of being able to see, you know, a game through my own lens and what's important for me. And so I, I see that that's kind of the future of sport and where it's heading. And I think it's just a really exciting time to be a part of it. Wow. So typically fan interest kind of wanes heavily in the off season, right? What, what, <laughs> there is no off season. <laughs> what, what efforts are you making to keep fans engaged after the season ends? You know, I, honestly, I think the NBA does, has done an amazing job because when I joke, there really is no off season for us. So, you know, between finals, you know, lottery draft, you know, free agency, summer league, which is huge. And uh, this summer, obviously, a lot of uh, players were playing in different leagues in different cities and the NBA offering opportunities for that. So fans are always getting their basketball fixed somewhere. And then it's preparation for the season. And then we're on in addition to our G League team, in addition to our 2K League, which is kind of playing towards the end of the season and throughout the summer, in addition to the WNBA. And so for us, you know, overarching, those are the things that are happening internally. We really look at what we're doing in the community in the summertime as well. So that's where a lot of our camps, clinics, um, we've done a really great job partnering with State Farm in the past, doing a million meal pack event, which we did last July and packing a million meals, you know, for the city of Atlanta for people uh, with food insecurity. And so we really look at community. Uh, we look at ourselves as a community asset, a civic asset, as our owner said from day one when he got there. And that's not just during the off season, that's year round. Um, but that work never stops. And so I was joking, with my team, I said, when I first started, there was an off season, like guys, people took two months off and like, oh, we'll, we'll get back together in August before we start to prep for the season. And now that's no longer the way the world. Mm. How much, you know, collaboration, interaction do you have with other sports marketing leaders in the NBA or just in other, other like NFL, any other sports leagues? Do you kind of collaborate and connect with other marketing leaders in other arenas? A hundred percent. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's no... Uh, there's no competition, really. I mean, obviously, everyone wants to have the first and, and the greatest, but I think locally, you know, great friends with, you know, the the president of the Atlanta Dream, our WNBA team, the head of marketing for the Falcons, head of marketing for Atlanta United, the head of marketing for the Braves. And so every now and then we do have ideas, marketing ideas with Synergy. We always want to show support for our local teams. So, you know, when the Braves won the World Series, we had a whole Braves night at a Hawks game and got to really welcome them and give them their shine for the city. So we love that. 
And in terms of the NBA, they do a phenomenal job of really bridging the gap of needs for marketing leaders across the league. And so at any given time, there may be meetings where we're all getting together. Um, every year we get together in Miami for a sales and marketing meeting where we are literally hearing best practices from every single team. And over the past eight years that I've been with the org, it's just been building relationships. And so not just for basketball, but personally also, you know, folks within the NFL, MLB, and, and it's a very small knit unit of people who can have the honor of working and leading a marketing organization for a sports team. And so, you know, I really take that honor and try to build as many bridges as I can. How much time do you and the team kind of spend, you and like the marketing folks and just the, like the, the executives and the team you're working with, how much time are you spending like experimenting on things, like kind of being in the future, trying new things. I mean, it's this world's moving so fast that there's so many interesting activations and campaigns, but do you spend a lot of time kind of thinking with the team or, or just by yourself about like, what's the future? What, what can we do to try new things? How much do we push the envelope? You know, I'd love to say that we spend a lot of time on it, but there's not enough hours in the day, you know, in terms of working in the office. I am, like I said, I'm a student of culture, so I'm always asking questions and looking at how we can connect juxtaposed worlds or things that shouldn't go together to see how we can, we can create something magical. Um, we have an innovation lab within the Atlanta Hawks, and so there are some other folks within the organization that are charged with looking forward. We have a Hawks Ventures group looking at other businesses, and so I think through that, there's opportunities to kind of see what's happening. Um, but personally, I'm always looking and having conversations and hearing pitches and, you know, kind of seeing what's out there. But to the spirit of, you know, is the juice worth the squeeze? It takes a lot of time and effort. And I think for us, especially, it's like, oh, we can just onboard this new tool and, and try that out. There's a lot of man hours behind that just because it touches so many different parts of our organization, especially if it's something consumer facing. So really understanding what those small tests would be, what really makes sense for us. And then, yeah, I absolutely want to try stuff out. My team knows it. I'm all about innovation. In that same article we talked about, Deloitte, Deloitte reported that, you know, the streaming has increasingly, you know, become a favorite channel for watching live sports, especially for younger fans. Earlier in the pandemic, uh, the Washington Post was reported that sports had a Gen Z problem that might be exacerbated by the pandemic, voicing concerns about gaining and retaining young sports fans. What are you noticing about changing consumer trends in the industry? And how are you adjusting your marketing efforts accordingly in order to continue to connect with multiple generations of fans? Well, I mean, the one thing I'll say is we are one of the teams with the lowest season ticket member age of any team. And I think a lot of that is to do with Atlanta. I think a bigger part of that has to do with Trey Young and knowing that we have such a young and exciting team to watch and really resonates with fans, especially with the entertainment culture of what's happening in Atlanta. Celebrities, everyone coming out to our games. I think all of that is attracting that same demo. You know, we are always looking at new and unique ways, getting on Be Real, doing some fun stuff there. TikTok ads, as many people are, you know, we want to reach our fans where they are. From a ticketing perspective, you know, offering opportunities for standing room only seats and things, really quick last minute purchases. Because at the end of the day, we also want to be a great night out. If you're in the city and it's not just because the basketball is exciting to watch, which we know, how do we also uh, diversify our offerings so that we create a broad opportunity for our fans to get in the building? Beyond that, from a streaming perspective, you know, I'd want to be everywhere. And so from a social standpoint, we're really looking at how do we grow our highlights? How do we grow our followers on these feeds? Because ultimately, as the world continues to shift and exist, we have to make sure that we're consistently on the forefront of where our young fans are. And we look at next generation, next generation Atlantans as our target audience, but really looking at a generational fan building strategy which starts from junior Hawks and getting kids to play basketball because there's a lot of data that shows that if you get someone playing basketball from early, they have a higher predisposition to becoming a fan of the sport later on down the line. And so we look at it through all those lenses. And the last one, I would say retail, which is an interesting one because a lot of people don't think retail as a marketing lever, but it's brand merchandising is a part of our marketing organization and has been one of the biggest indicators of brand relevance in our city. I mean, when I first moved here, there weren't a ton of people walking around with Hawks gear, you know, and we were able to find some really great talent that have brought style and trend and looking at what's happening in our city and collaborations with whether it's artists or designers in to create a lot of new things that also help make our brand super relevant to our next gen fans. 
There was something I saw about the, was it MLK kind of civil rights activation that was really mm -hmm. cool and it got the attention of the Pope. Can you tell us about that? That was really cool. A hundred percent. So the NBA um, a couple of years ago created their city edition platform where every team is charged every year with designing a new uniform for their team to wear that season. And so when I first got um, the role as chief marketing officer, sitting down with Nike, they were like, well, what do you want to do? <laughs> and it's kind of my job to make that decision. And I told them, I said, you know, MLK, uh, Dr. King with Atlanta being the birthplace, every MLK day, we would always have a really unique game experience. We'd have a live gospel choir that does player intros and have, you know, a choir that does a performance at halftime, some education on Dr. King. And I said, we do it once a year on MLK day. And the league always ensures that we have a game on that day. But I would love to know what it would look like if we were able to extend that beyond a game. So what if we were able to honor the legacy of Dr. King for a season through a uniform design? And, you know, the designers at Nike got really excited along with us. You know, we worked with our ownership. They loved the idea, uh, reached out to the King Estate, and they were fantastic partners in working with us to make it happen. And that was maybe two or three years, you know, in terms of ideation, design, production. It's a pretty lengthy process. People think you design it today and it's out tomorrow, but it's probably like a three-year gap. And so we came up with this idea to launch. And having no idea that when the uniform was set to launch was in the middle of the pandemic, right after George Floyd. And so we launched it during the playoffs when the playoffs were in the bubble. And that summer, the team had done so much. The NBA had done so much in terms of, you know, reaching out. I think they took a group of players to the Vatican to meet the Pope. And beyond that, the Pope heard about our uniform and said, I would love an MLK jersey. He was an inspiration to me. And so we literally were able to send the Pope a jersey that he signed, which was crazy. <laughs> so I'm getting a text message of a picture of the Pope holding our work, which was phenomenal. But I think the cultural context of how the uniform was released at that time, you know, there was no way we could have ever written that. And what took it a step further, which made it better, is we really believe that for our city edition, we wanted to use that as an opportunity to give back to our city. And so the profit from every single one of those uniforms went to a women's entrepreneurship initiative of Atlanta. And so we said, hey, we want to continue the work Dr. King was doing, which is all about economic empowerment. And so in doing that, it was successful. But then the team won in those uniforms so much. We got all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, the furthest in the history of the organization. And so we've actually preserved the center court from that MLK uniform in our arena. It's actually right by our hawk shop and wow. showing that story with that uniform and that jersey because it was so impactful, not just for our team, but also for the city. Wow. As an aside, not related to this, but I have to mention, because you mentioned Trey Young, I saw on Saturday that he hit this shot. He crossed half court and hit a he hit a, a three-pointer that was like 20 feet behind the <laughs> three-point line. He's ridiculous. He is ridiculous. He is amazing. Um, he is amazing. The, uh, the, the chief experience officer at Accenture wrote an article in Forbes. He titled it, Reimagining the Future of Sports and the Fan Experience. And in it, he argued that there needs to be a better way to connect athletes and fans and saying both fans and athletes wanna connect with each other in interesting ways. Um, is this reflective of your experience with the Hawks? You know, that's a great question because it is. We've always looked for you know ways that we can engage our fans and players are what makes our team. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can do stuff with Harry the Hawk and our mascot. And I'm like, he's great. And I love we have the best mascot in the NBA. But it's all about the players. And honestly, I do think the pandemic hurt us a lot in that because there were there was a lot more restrictions kind of placed on the players and and distance. And, you know, and I think for them, the cocoon was great because they're able to really focus on what they do. Um, and since then, we've kind of taken steps back to allowing, you know, high five tunnels and things like that. But I remember uh, different teams that had robots with iPads on them so fans could engage with players. And it, it's cool, but it's not necessarily the same. You know, having players randomly FaceTime fans. And I think as much as you can get people to feel the one-on-one -on -one connection is important, but as your fan base grows, that's so much harder. And when you have, you know, a limited number, amount of time and players that really have to do things. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with the sentiment. I remember when I first started at the league, I remember uh, sitting in a meeting and they were like, have your players be open at, be at the doors when they open for your opening night game, greeting fans as they come in the building. And I'm like, we are a far cry away from that, just from a safety security perspective and all the rest. Um, but I think at the core, it's always going to be trying to find unique ways to do it um, that will work for both the players and their schedules, but also that really makes it engaging for fans, not just seeing them from far away for a smile and wave. Hmm. 
omni-channel used to mean email, website, social media. But today, sports fans expect this much more immersive, all-encompassing experience when they engage with the team. How was the Atlanta Hawks brand aesthetic carried throughout all touch points on the customer journey? You know, I really love the fact that since I joined this marketing team, it was really just advertising and promotions when I started. Um, and then grew to incorporating our graphic design and video production team, which we now call an internal agency called Hawk Studios. And that's been hugely helpful because that is every single touch point that is designed is created out of that team. In addition to our game presentation, we call it live experience and production. And that is everything from putting on the games, going out into the community for our street teams. All of that are a part of the marketing org as well. In addition to brand merchandising, retail, as I mentioned, which is another lever that's hugely important for us and our fans. And then we look at corporate social responsibility. As I mentioned, we had an owner that really said it gave us a directive that our organization is a civic asset and everyone has that values system like ingrained in them within the organization. And so that group also falls within the marketing group, in addition to our basketball programs and all of our youth basketball initiatives. And so for me, when I think of Omnichannel and all of those touch points, we make sure that we're all rowing in the same direction and singing from the same songbook. And everything that our global partnerships team is doing from an activation perspective with sponsors also falls in line and is executed through this team. And so, you know, from my standpoint, I feel like we were probably better than we've ever been. Because if I see an interaction in a, in a shirt that someone has purchased or a billboard or through an app or on social media, it's all coming from the same brand soul within the organization. And I think that's really important. And wasn't always the case because I recognize that when things are more siloed, even our head of PR and communications, we're all connected in together, even through what we're posting on LinkedIn and looking at all of those touch points as important messaging opportunities for the fan. How does it direct back? Now that they're all linked, I think it makes it much more effective. Mm. So talk to me a little more about personalized fan experiences. Like what are what are some new tactics the organization has employed to engage fans in new ways? Well, I mentioned we just redid our app and it was done exactly for that reason. How do we create this as the portal for all things that our fans need at any given moment in time? Everything from game flow and being able to see where people are shooting from to a member portal where if you have Hawks Bucks, which is our digital currency and everything being in one place. Now, that's not revolutionizing the world, but for us and being able to really galvanize all that info and put it in one place, it makes it much easier for fans. And we had an app previously that was kind of bifurcated. It was half Hawks, half State Farm Arena. And now we have one unified app where you can toggle off and on on the calendar if you want to see home games, away games, arena events, get tickets for all those things and have them all in one. It just makes it a lot easier for fans to navigate. We're in the middle of going through a really huge proprietary research study. We're calling it Project Future Fan. And a lot of that is to answer those questions that you just asked. You know, what do fans want from us now in this day and age? But then also, as we look to our future fan, who aren't fans that we want to have become fans and understanding why they're not? But for the folks who are on the trajectory to become future fans one day, what can we do and provide for them? And I'm really excited to get the research or the output of that study because I think it will give us a lot of direction um, in terms of doing it even better in the future. And I look at my eight-year-old daughter as my personal focus group because the way that she consumes media and what she does on a regular basis is the future. You know, I worked at Turner and I was at Cartoon Network and Adult Swim. And I always remember hearing like, this is the best part of the business to be in because you are getting the precursor for what everyone else is going to figure out five to 10 to seven years down the line. And it was so true. Wow. Have these efforts been effective in bringing in like casual fans in, like making them more engaged fans? A hundred percent. I mean, we've looked this season, especially at how do we do unique things, especially for the first half of the season. Traditionally, you know, once uh, I want to say Christmas, New Year's comes, people focus on basketball. NFL season is dwindling, you know, kind of getting ready for Super Bowl, you know, but we always look at the first half of the season is how do we really engage fans in a place like Georgia, which is, you know, college football capital. Um, and so it's been pretty interesting and unique creating group sales opportunities. We had a divine nine night, um, most recently, a lot of giveaways for fans, kids nights, you know, really engaging casual fans to come in for a unique experience. And so far we've been sold out for just about every game so far this season. And so we're doing great there, but it's how do we continue that momentum? And the one thing that I can't control is wins and losses. And it's interesting that as a marketer, a lot of people talk about your product. I can't tweak my product. I have no say on the product or the outcome of that product. And so it's super unique. So what we're able to do is really, how do we engage this brand 
and this audience in this market in new and unique ways to really get them into the building, but then also just have a great experience when they're there. How are you scoring like that kind of engagement? What are your key performance indicators for like those new tactics? Oh man, I mean, surveys after every game, net promoter score is huge for us. We look at that. The NBA has a lot of league related surveys that they do annually with season ticket members and other fans. I mean, social media tells us every night, <laughs> you know, whether we want to hear it or not, you know, we absolutely get it in real time, whether it's customer service related through Twitter or, you know, more from an Instagram perspective and comments. So if it's a celebrity that's at the game, they'll let us know, like, we love them or we don't know who they are. So it's really great, you know, being able to have that and sometimes pretty challenging. And we have a phenomenal team on our social side that's really doing their best on a regular basis to not just engage fans, but also listen. Social listening is huge for us. The line between professional sports and other forms of entertainment has blurred, right? I mean, now you have stadiums that are offering these full, interactive, multimedia-driven experiences. How have efforts to use, you know, things like live music, unique entertainment acts, compelling video packages, et cetera, changed the types of fans you see coming to games? Well, I feel like that's what we've always been about. And so for us, that's that's our norm. And I think in terms of game presentation, I could be biased, but I feel like we are the best in the NBA. And, you know, with that, people coming into our building, we have a swag shop, which is a barbershop that Killer Mike uh, created within the city that we brought in to make this the most Atlanta venue ever. We partnered with Top Golf, and we have, you know, you can go out and have a whole golf simulation in a party suite as you watch this game. And so we know that there's a lot of different things happening to stimulate fans. But for us, you know, live entertainment, for sure. You know, we've had Sprite hip hop concert series, you know, a number of amazing artists that come through our arena. And then also bringing in influencers and others that just are sharing the experience that they're having. And so we definitely have seen in the past, we did a collaboration with Collab Crib um, here in Atlanta, which was awesome because those folks are on TikTok in amazing ways, creating content, reaching a very different demo than maybe our core Hawk social demo, but we've partnered with them for so long that that's part of our universe now as well. And so we've always kind of looked at that uh, unique opportunity for growth through juxtaposed worlds. And I think we'll always continue that. Mm. There was an article that you you discussed the link. It was in uh, Women in Sports Tech. Um, you discussed the link between technology and innovation. And you explained that the pandemic has changed everything, right? And that created a fully integrated tech stack that could grow as your, you know, as company grows as a top priority. What did the pandemic make clear about your tech stack and how how your tech strategy could be better? Well, you know, it made so much clear that we now have a chief of innovation and technology that we've brought on board since then. And Kim Romito, who was phenomenal, and she's recently joined us and is now going doing a complete overhaul and assessment within our organization to continue to make sure that we're not just doing things that we need to do for the organization, which we always have done, but how we can do them more effectively and efficiently for our fans, but also just for our business. And so we're in the process of that and continuing. But as I mentioned in that article, you know, the pandemic really showed how much we were so focused on the physical experience and the digital was in support of in ways, but not a complete immersive digital experience. And that's what we're moving more towards in the future. Mm. In that in that same interview, um, you said, quote, silos are the biggest killers of ideas and innovation at organizations. The more that we can align and bring others under the tent, the better our decision making is, especially when it comes to our technology stack, end quote. How have you encouraged collaboration across the organization and eliminated some of those silos? Well, I think that we've been doing it over time, you know, and like I mentioned, now that we have uh, this new leader who's focused on that, we have been kind of the partner number one in anything that we can do to ensure success. One of the biggest things we're working on internally right now is a digital asset management system. And it sounds small, but for a team like us that captures so much content on a regular basis, we have systems in place, obviously, currently, but how do we make it more efficient where anyone can search for anything that's needed? That's a huge undertaking that really involves the entire organization. And so because it started within the marketing department based on our Hawk Studios needs for all the content that we're capturing, it's really something that everyone is holding hands and working together across the organization on. And I think that's kind of a microcosm of the way in which we work now. And silos, unfortunately, exist, whether it's location-based, you know, our, our team is at a practice facility, we have folks at our arena, we have folks at our corporate offices, um, but we're always cognizant of that and really trying to do our best to schedule times where we can get that collaboration and time together to make it all work. 
Mm. Let's let's talk data for a little bit. How are you tracking guest data after they arrive at the arena? Like, does the tracking end once the ticket is scanned, or are there like real time tracking efforts in place? All those, yeah, there are real time tracking efforts in place, but the way in which we're able to look at it from an insights perspective is a lot of what we're working on now. So through every, you know, retail pro, all of our current POS systems, understanding what fans are doing and where they are, it's happening, but I don't think we're able to look at the output of that as effectively currently as we will be in the future. Mm. Are you garnering like a deeper understanding of fan behavior through the app use, through merchandise? A hundred percent. I mean, I think for the app specifically, we just relaunched that tool the beginning of the season. So I think there's a little bit more time to see on that, but we get to know so much more about our fans, where they're spending their time, what they're doing. I mean, we have from a retail perspective, probably have had our strongest opening of the season from the beginning of this, from the beginning of this time since I've been in this organization. And I think it's huge, but a lot of that came from understanding what fans were purchasing, looking at what the per caps were on a regular basis and seeing how we can kind of tweak what we're offering based on those needs. We just did a huge partnership with Lululemon. We're the first organization in professional sports to do a shop in shop with them. And that has been huge for us. And Lululemon Hawks branded merch that you can only get in our arena it's fantastic. And so as we look at our fans and see how our shifting fan and demographic basis is growing, you know, we're trying to do our best to make sure that we can have offerings that have something for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm a, I'm a big fan. I know we talked about this in the prep call. Lululemon, I give away so much of my money to Lululemon every year, my, <laughs> but my but these clothes last forever. I'm a huge fan of the brand and I love yeah. the partnership. I love the partnership between the Hawks. That's, that's incredible. I, and that's new, right? Yeah, it's this season. We just we okay. just launched it at the start of our season. That's fantastic. All right. Well, you've crushed this conversation, Melissa. I mean, I I wish we had another hour because I mean, there's so much we can. There's so many ro- roads we can go down. But just please, thank you for being here. This was incredible. I loved hearing more about your journey. I loved hearing about how you're actively engaging with this really cool fan base that's growing and changing and evolving as the world around us is but it was such an honor to have you on Marketing Trends and thank you so much. Wow, thank you for having me. Let's get into a lightning round real quick, Melissa. Let's have, we kind of have some fun questions um, and we'll just run through these. So answer these, you know, as quick as you can, just go from the heart. Um, are you ready for the first question? Yes. Okay, and before I, I mention the first question, if you don't know, you need to know that Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Shout out to Salesforce. They bring marketing and engagement together. If you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. First question, Melissa Proctor, CMO for the Atlanta Hawks slash baller slash mom. What is the funniest thing you've ever witnessed during a Zoom meeting? Probably someone's cat jumping on their laptop <laughs> mid-meeting and not wanting to get up. <laughs> <laughs> What is your least favorite business buzzword? Oh man, least favorite business. That's a tough one. <laughs> Abreast, I would say, but that's okay. just a bad word, period. Okay. Um, if you could have any upgrade to your work from home setup, what would it be? Oh man, um, a mansion. <laughs> My favorite answer, all-time favorite answer. You, you win, you win. Um, what, what is the best team-building exercise you've ever employed, and do you still use it? Oh, my gosh. I, I, someone did it for me, and I use it on my team, and they loved it. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh. So you find a champion. It was the most amazing. And, you know, I have to give a, a shout-out because it was something that I never really experienced. And Andy Shang said, hey, you got you to gotta try this thing. And, rock, paper, scissors, and you do it with, uh, everyone does it with the person sitting next to them. And then after they do it, they have to become the biggest cheerleader of whoever's, whoever loses. You have to cheer on the winner. Oh, that's good. So that's where it goes until you have the champion and there's a final two. And when I say it is the biggest team building thing ever, I think I'm going to do it every single meeting now. Oh, that's great. What was the first thing you thought about this morning? This podcast. Oh, I appreciate that. You got a lot to think about, so I appreciate that. First meeting of the day. If you could use marketing to send a message to the entire world, what would it be? Stop with the guns and more unity. Oh, mm. what is a, a movie quote or a song lyric that describes your management style? <laughs> I'm the same one. That's not a positive one. Um, be happy. What is one popular thing or activity you wish you enjoyed more? 
reading books. Let me say that. I read a lot. Okay. Okay. Do you prefer watching television week by week or binge watching seasons all at once? Binge watching. Okay. What is the best business advice you have ever received? Know when you sold the suit. Hmm. Okay. Okay. If you were to devote the rest of your life to philanthropy, what cause would you choose? I'd want to help education for kids that are underserved from underserved communities. Last question. Finally, what items, item or items are on your business bucket list? What's left that you want to cross off your list? You know, I've never had a business bucket list. So I don't, I mean, I'm just happy to be here. That's it. I think when, <laughs> I you, when, I think when you're doing, uh, you're not learning or growing, you're dead. So just continue mm. learning and growing. That's the plan. Keep rocking it. Thank you again, Melissa. This was exceptional. Uh, but wow, what a, what a dope conversation. You rock. No, man. Thank you. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.